This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Ben Beharin from Creative Strategies and Tapinians on the recent CES 2017. In the first part of our conversation, we discuss the major themes that have emerged from the event and how Asia OEMs, particularly from China, have expanded their coverage there. Hi Ben. Hey Bernard. Good to have you here. How are things with you in the US? Glad to be here. You know, things are going all right. I live on the West Coast, you know, in in Silicon Valley, and we've been getting pummeled with water. That's been interesting. But, you know, as many of my Chinese friends say, you know, when water comes, money comes. So apparently it's possibly a good sign. Yes, that's probably a great sign because you're very close to the Chinese New Year. So I'm talking to Ben Beharin from Creative Strategies and Techpinions. So Ben, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Well, we had some holidays here, we, our holiday season, as well as our, our New Year. So it was a, a nice break at the end of December. And then we sort of roll right into the Consumer Electronics Show, which is, which is really probably the worst way to start off your New Year from our perspective, coming off a, a couple-week break and then having to go straight to, to Las Vegas. So never a fun environment. But interestingly, you know, CES was, was active this year. It was a fairly well-attended show. A lot of news came out of it. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was right off the bat. You come from a New Year and you go straight to the Consumer Electronics Show and a lot of our colleagues were there and getting work done and announcements were happening. So that was that's the gist of it. For the Asians who go to the CES every year, they are very excited because it's probably like after Christmas, New Year is the first place to go in Las Vegas. So for them, it's a little bit like a holiday. But before we go on, I mean, probably most of the audience will be hearing us talking about the CES 2017, which is actually the Consumer Electronics Show. Can you talk a little bit about the CES show itself and its significance in tech? I know that it's an annual event for most technology companies except Apple, and it's all usually held in Las Vegas, but this year is held in Las Vegas on the 9th to the 12th of January 2017. Yeah, you know, CES has been going for quite some time. You know, it's gone through a couple of different revisions during the timing. There was sort of always a big CES show. They had a summer show as well. Obviously, now the CTA, Consumer Technology Association, which is what they rebranded to, does kind of these CES things or they do these shows all over the place. There's one in Shenzhen. They do a couple throughout China. They go to Europe. O- overall, you know, it's it's an event that's really geared toward electronics as a whole. But this particular show in January is really very retail focused. And so we've always sort of wondered, why is it happen at the beginning of the year when you know so much could change in six months and retailers who are buying products for the end half of this year to, sh- to put in their in their stores might have a completely different set of options than they do right now but it's a very retail focused show that's the point of the of the show from a business standpoint so you know your best buys your dixons your targets Kohl's, whoever sells technology merchandise at retail comes to ces and has meetings with you know with the vendors and they basically look to either do deals there 
actually buy product for inventory, place inventory orders, and use that as a way to sort of guide what their store is going to carry throughout the coming year. Obviously, a lot of us who either follow the industry or work in the industry or have some sort of a parallel relationship, you know, we go to see the latest and greatest. We go to meet with with companies because they talk about what products they'll be releasing. So you get a little bit of an idea of the roadmaps. You get to talk and have sort of productive meetings about, okay, you're, you guys are releasing this product. So why are you releasing that for this product, et cetera? So what, what companies decide to release at, you know, the January CES show is really sort of dependent on what their timing is from a relationship with the buyers because that's really the the productive side of the show is is who's coming there to buy product to put in retail obviously most of these vendors will release more things throughout the year you know samsung has always one of the largest booths there they'll save some announcements for probably mobile world congress or their own event later in the year as will many other vendors so some products get released there. Not everything that's going to come out in, in this coming year in 2017 is released in the January show. But at the end of the day, we always you know, remember it's, a, it's, it's really a retail-focused show. And, and the buyers who buy technology to carry in their stores is really the focus of the audience for, for that CES. Since it's a busy period for you, so how do you usually cover CES? I mean, what do you really look out for during the events with the different exhibition halls and also product launches from companies such as Samsung or other US tech companies as well? Well, it's too big of a show to really see everything. I mean, I think that's the primary strategy. You know, luckily we have multiple people in our team and so everybody can cover as much ground as possible. And, you know, one of the things that, that makes CES interesting, I mean, obviously we do, we do a lot of work with companies in the industry. And so we get to spend a lot of time with them at these shows, you know, because everybody's in the same place, if you will. So it's a pretty productive way to get through and discuss with everybody in your client base, you know, meet with companies who perhaps you haven't met with before that are all there and want to meet with you. So it's typically a very meeting heavy show and diversifying the load across, you know, people is sort of the best way to do this when, when it was really just sort of a, folks who don't have large teams. Again, you just, you just can't see everything. So you have to prioritize what you see, but the show floors are obviously extremely vast and large. They've got dedicated halls to televisions, then there's some to health. Automobiles and sound and, and, and automotive was was big this year. At a, had a dedicated hall. You know, there's there's huge portions of off the show over at one of the, the nearby hotels, the Venetian that has a floor. So, you know, again, it's it's just so big and vast you, you can't see everything. So you have to prioritize your time. I generally try to keep a little bit of my schedule open for just walking the show floor, trying to find something maybe new spot a trend, see something that I think is interesting that perhaps somebody else hasn't really seen yet. So I, I try to do it to find some, you know, what I call needle in a haystack type type technologies. It doesn't always play out. Sometimes you, you find them more often than not, you don't. But you know, you're not going to see that kind of stuff. You're not going to find something rare, or something something truly new or unique from you know a smaller company who's just getting started. If you just spend time with all the big companies, so I do try to get out to the floor and see, look for some stuff that's unique and I hadn't seen before that piques my interest. But it's always really hard because you only have a set amount of time there, and it's just really really busy. Do you see the international booths getting more and more as compared to the local U.S. booths? in the CS shows? 
Well, that's, I mean, that's been happening for a while. I mean, there's no doubt there's a number of vendors who have gotten bigger, especially from from China. You know, Hisense is, has has had a large booth for some time, as has TCL. Xiaomi was there for the first time this year with a pretty massive booth. So you definitely see them starting to take up more space from the international community and obviously there's you know there's japanese brands uh, that have pretty big pretty big presence there's you know obviously samsung and lg sharp and so it's you know it's it's really every big sort of name brand and tech shows up in in some way shape or form obviously like i said the the interesting thing is just to see you know folks like hisense their booth gets sort of bigger a little bit bigger every year. Obviously, Xiaomi was new and interesting. DJI's been there now the, the past couple of years. Their booth's gotten bigger. So, you know, you're, you're definitely seeing as they grow, as as international companies get larger, particularly ones from from China, and start to have success and can come and talk to the show on the global at a global stage. You're definitely seeing them increase their booth size. I don't think we're, we're not really seeing massive additions of those new brands. So it's you're walking around, you're not really seeing any major new brand getting more space obviously there's a lot of odms who show up and have big space and you know and show off either tablets or phones and tvs and say you know hey anybody can white label this oftentimes there's subsets or sister companies of japanese companies who are or, or, or chinese companies who are launching parallel brands there so it's still an unknown brand it's a spin-off of their brand it's something new sometimes they get space but the, the real story i think is just again the the more global players um, you know, like Hisense and TCL and, you know, again, now in Xiaomi and DJI, I mean, they're just sort of getting bigger in their spaces versus we're just seeing more and more international, particularly Asian Asian companies show up with big booths. I think this is where I'm going to talk to you about something much more deeper. So I've read your article in TechPinions talking about the few major big teams that emerged from the CES 2017. What do you think that these big teams are that you have learned in this this year's CES then? Well, I think the main ones that, you know, are interesting, I mean, obviously we, we come away with a couple of sort of important observations and TV still remains a, a, a big focus of this show. So we spend a lot of time just trying to understand what happened last quarter at holiday in a couple of different countries, particularly around TVs and, and other things. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting because the increase in pixel resolution or display resolution as we've moved to 4K and eventually we'll move to sort of 8K beyond that. This was the first year where on the show floor was a couple of major 8K displays sort of for the first time, which is a, a really hard solution because it's such a big picture and it requires so much throughput that oftentimes the cables themselves don't support how much data is coming through that line for 8K. So some of them were sort of hacked together, but they showed us what 8K would look like, which is still many, many, many years away from making it to the market. But the interesting thing with with pixel resolution becoming more dense is the market's moving to larger screens. So as consumers are buying new TVs now, you know they're not just taking the same size, be it a, a 37, 42, 45-inch, 50-inch TV, and just getting the same size with higher resolution. They're actually moving up. So a greater proportion of sales in TVs this last holiday actually came from 55, 60, 65. So the market's moving up in picture size, which I, which I think is just sort of a notable change in the buying cycle that's really driven by, by higher resolution and the fact that you can still sit closer to 
the TV at a higher resolution and not see pixelization means that people can sit at the same distance they were at their old smaller screen and get a bigger screen and get you know all this this glorious display and still be still be at the distance that they were and not see pixelation so that was interesting i think there's another interesting bit just around pcs that i think is interesting and i've been sort of talking to a lot of the the vendors about lately i think we're starting to see some stabilization in the pc space but both around clamshells and we're actually seeing quite an uptake in desktops toward more premium a lot of that's being driven by gaming hardcore gaming desktop gaming whereas margins have gone up quite a bit but desktops did relatively well at in western markets for for the holiday but it's interesting that you know if you take a step back and you look at sort of everything that's been said about tablets the past two to three years you know you really would have thought that what we should have saw was a decrease in PC sales, but possibly even a decrease in the ASP. And while Q4 in Western markets actually had an up cycle for for PCs, the most important thing that's happening, and this has been a trend that's been going on throughout all 2016, is that the ASP, the average selling price of PCs, has actually been rising fairly steadily. So it's going up. That's a little bit, I think, counter to what the tablet narrative would have said, which is, hey, this product that's kind of a beefed up version of your smartphone does everything that you need to do. You can get some, you know, as low as a couple hundred dollars that are pretty good and get some like an iPad that are, you know, north of $800. But the bottom line is you don't need to spend, you know, 800 or 1200 on dollars on a PC. But the bottom line is that's what people are doing. They're actually still buying PCs and they're spending more on them, which means that, they still value them. It's still a priority. It's something that they know they need to use in their life for a variety of things. And they're willing to invest more in it, right? If they didn't care about this product at all, like some of the narratives was, right, nobody needs PCs, nobody likes PCs, et cetera, which was coming out around the, the bullishness for tablets, you know, you would have thought that, well, if they don't need it or they don't really like it, then they'll just pay less. They'll go get a cheaper one. And that's really not what's happening in, in PCs. So talking to a lot of the vendors and, again, seeing quite a bit of interesting innovation around PCs at CES, which, again, right, Intel and, and Dell and others and Lenovo all launch uh, PCs or talk about their PC lineups around that time is actually encouraging for the PC segment going into 2017. So I think that was interesting. Probably the biggest theme, you know, which is the one I've been talking the most about is relative to the smart home. And a lot of that was driven by the success of and the momentum around Amazon's Echo and the Alexa Assistant at CES, where you know, pretty much every major vendor that makes TVs, washing machines, no, sorry, not TVs, but washing machines, you know, other forms of appliances, coffee makers, kitchen appliances, I mean, you name it, they were all integrating and supporting Amazon's Alexa. So, you know, the, the way that, that Amazon talks about this is, you know, people can build these skills for their product, which lets their product connect to Alexa and, and achieve some purpose. And so it's called, the, the tagline is called works with Alexa. And so, you know, you would just see announcement after announcement after announcement come from CES that said, you know, hey, so-and-so vendors releasing this and it works with Alexa. You know, you'd see it plastered across their booth. There'd be pictures, right, that the media was showing. Hey, here's another one. Works with Alexa. So it was like everybody was integrating and working with, with Amazon's Echo and working with their Alexa assistant so that you could accomplish something in your smart home with your voice. And so that was one of sort of the clear themes around, again, connectivity at CES. One of the ways that, you know, my, my colleague Carolina Milanesi was pointing out about this that I think was interesting is, you know, the past few years, 
we've talked sort of about, hey, it's IoT, it's IoT, it's IoT. And, and everybody gets tired of saying, you know, it's IoT, it's Internet of Things. Like, it doesn't mean anything. That whole sort of shift of what we talk about in terms of the narrative around IoT has sort of shifted now to this, well, it's, it's AI. And so your thermostat, your, your car, your, you know, whatever, your, your appliance, your kitchen appliance is going to have some form of intelligence in it so you can talk to it, so it'll do what you say, et cetera. And the way that manifested itself this year was, was really around this works with Alexa theme and this integration and support for Amazon's Echo. That, I think, is a, is a fairly significant pivot point for the industry because another thing happened last Q4 at Western Market Retail that I think is interesting is that smart home products, so that's sales of smart lighting, something like a Nest thermostat, a ring doorbell, a connected camera that goes outside, a smart you know wall outlet that you can plug something into, was actually up significantly at last Q4 Retail, one of the biggest bumps it's seen since coming, coming out. And, and as we've been researching this smart home, you know, one of the main things that we keep landing on is it's the people who buy smart home products prior now to, to last Q4 of 2016 are really, you know, people who do it yourselfers, right? They hack all this stuff together because they want to or because it's fun or they enjoy the challenge. And we had not seen smart home products sort of trickle out to everyday people. And I think last Q4 was the evidence that we're starting to see very slowly the smart home break out of just an enthusiast and just a early adopter slash do-it-yourselfer buying those products and, and, and hacking them together to average and normal people starting to connect you know simple objects in their home and use those and connect them from their smartphone. And that, and that I think, is piggybacking on what we're seeing with the Echo. And there's been a lot of research that's come out just over the past few months from a couple other vendors as well, showing how most people, when they get an Echo or something like Google Home, they start doing it to just do simple things, right? Play music, set a timer, set a reminder. The Using that product to control products in your home from, from your voice, turn something off, turn something on, etc., was pretty low. And that's risen now to a top three behavior within people who are using those products. And so it shows that once you get one of these, you start connecting other things because the voice UI, the ability to just say, hey, turn off this. In fact, just a, a quick anecdote. I was talking to some of the reps from Home Depot and Lowe's, which are two very large stores here in the U.S. that sell home renovation equipment, goods, lumber, tools, etc., and, uh, and next to their Christmas lights section, they are actually selling these Belkin Wemo outlets, which you just plug your tree into that outlet, or you plug your house lights, Christmas lights into that outlet, and, uh, and then you can just turn them off and on from your phone. And, uh, and they were almost always stocked out of those things in, in a number of major stores. And they tell me that it was one of the, the bigger drivers for a season of those products. And again, the use case was simple. You plug your Christmas tree lights into that. And you can turn them off and on. And you can even turn them off and on remotely. And by the way, that product works with Alexa. So you could just say, hey, Alexa, turn my Christmas tree off and your Christmas tree will turn off. Or you could say, hey, Alexa, turn off the, the Christmas lights and it'll turn off your, your front porch lights. So those were very simple use cases. But again, kind of all of that compacting around the holiday season. And then again, I think the broader point here being that the voice UI, being able to do what I just said, Alexa, turn you know the thermostat down to 72, or Alexa, turn the fireplace on, or any of those numbers of things. You know, these are the kind of things that people can understand. They're simple 
use cases that I think that trickle into the into the mass market. But but doing what I just said, using your voice to do that, is actually a much better process and removes quite a bit of friction than pulling out your phone and then you know pulling up the app. And yes, that doesn't take very long, but it just eliminates a lot of friction to be able to do these things with your voice. So my my takeaway from this is that 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 voice UI using these voice you know, these voice-centric hubs in our homes actually helps move the smart home to a whole nother plane of an opportunity just because of how natural the voice UI is for us to interact with objects that we might have otherwise needed a remote for, we might have otherwise needed to walk downstairs to turn off the lights if we forgot, you know, any number of those types of things. It's just easier to say, you know, hey, whoever, go ahead and do this, right? So, so this battle for the connected home around voice assistance is something that I think is, is is heating up significantly. And that was probably the biggest sort of thing that we took away from, from this year's CES. And then you have one more team that you talk about is the cars then. What about the cars in the CES then? Yeah, I mean, automotive has been obviously talked about for a long time. You know, a lot of auto manufacturers have shown up before, but they've really shown up to do, to talk about sound systems. They said, hey, we're releasing this new car and it's got this amazing sound system and 1800 sound tweeters and woofers and whatever, right? And so there's, they would talk mostly about this from an audio standpoint. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking, you're seeing cars manufacturers come and show off stuff in a very similar way that they might show off stuff at a car show, where they talk about its autonomous features. They talk about all the sensors that it has, all the things that it can do, and, and the, the displays that it runs, the software that it's running. And so you're, you're starting to see now, I think, an interesting trend. And, and, and really, a lot of this, I think, is really being driven by the innovations that Tesla is doing, where they're truly turning the car into a smart software platform. Meaning that, you know, you've bought this car every year, it can get better through software in the very same way that we buy our smartphones and our pat tablets and our PCs. And it's and, and every year we know that our vendors are going to release a new operating system. They're going to include new features and it's just going to get better every year through software, the existing hardware that we own. And so now that automotive is taking a very similar stance and, you know, Ford could release a car and it could have all these interesting features. And then next year, for you who bought that car the year before, they can actually upgrade a lot of stuff because, again, they're they're upgrading the software on that machine and giving you a whole set of new capabilities and features. So turning the car into, again, a platform very much like we think about tablets and PCs, smartphones, like computing platforms, moving to the car is probably one of the biggest changes we're seeing in the automotive industry. And while it's still really new, I mean, a lot of stuff that, you know, a Ford or, you know, G, G, GM and others are going to talk about with these products, I mean, we're not going to see them on the market for three, four, five years, but we're seeing that now. So we're moving toward on the 10, you know, 15 year horizon, this reality where cars, automotive are also going to be a software platform that connects to services, might have opportunities for apps, you know, many, many similar ways that the PC and the, the smartphone and, and, you know, tablet, et cetera, are computing platforms. So that's coming to cars. And I think that was on clear, you know, evidence display at CES. And you're going to continue to see a number of vendors highlight this and talk about how they're adding smarts and creating software intelligence and creating a software platform around their automotive, because I think that's just going to be table stakes for car makers to compete, to compete in the future. 
we're going to take a break before i actually conclude i actually wanted to just ask you a very quick question any interesting cool stuff from asia this year particularly from china it was tough, you know. I mean, the, a lot I don't think really sort of came out that's that's changing. You know, obviously there's a pretty big, you know, section from Chinese vendors. You know, we sort of call it the Shenzhen section, and it's a lot of component manufacturers and sort of whatever's hot shows up there, right? So for a long time, it was tablets that showed up there, and every year tablets got cheaper. They were all there showing off all these different tablets. You know, a couple of years ago it was selfie sticks. You could see selfie sticks everywhere. This year it was interesting. Some of my friends were spending a lot more time there. So they were sending pictures to me about what was they were seeing there. There was things like body cams now, right? So there was felt like there was going to be a, a manufacturing run on selling police and fire and who others body body cams, things that they put on themselves. And so companies could white label these, put those on. There was some new innovations around smart glass, which I think is interesting coming out of the Shenzhen Pavilion. So again, you could imagine a common use case for this is, you know, you put this over your retail display say you're selling electronics or you're selling food or you're selling jewelry and the glass itself can become a display. So the glass itself might highlight a product, have moving pictures, show up to give you information about that product. You could actually even put a touch screen on that. So embedding displays and touch into regular gas dis glass displays, um, you know, was really interesting that I think sort of speaks of a more long-term trend about all the glass and sort of see-through things that we see out in the world and in our homes starting to become displays as well. So a lot of that stuff is, again, not really immediate. It's not immediate this year. It's not coming next year. It's a little bit far off. The interesting little trends that when you look at what manufacturers are saying they're capable of and what they're offering people to white label, you know, you can get a little bit of the trend of where they feel the momentum will be. And, you know, it'll take a few four to five months of this year to see what product categories kick kick up from there. But like I said, most of that stuff, when you when you look for it, it's not it's really not anything immediate. It's, it's sort of a little more on the long-term horizon. Ben, thank you for talking about this. And we were taking a pause and actually we will come back for part two of the podcast. So help my audience. How do my audience find you? Easiest way to find me is on Twitter. If you've got Twitter, can find me. It's just at Ben Beharin, my whole name, no spaces. Our website where you can read a lot of my writing is techpinions.com. And then often, you know, creative strategies, we do some blog posts where we post some of our research there, which is my my primary company, our research firm, creativestrategies.com. So those are kind of the three areas you can frequently find my stuff. And obviously, you know, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm, I'm pretty responsive. So always happy to chat with people that way as well. You can find me at bleongcwo at bernardlong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, Google Play in the US market. And of course, drop me a tweet, recommend us on Overcast, and even give me a good five-star rating on iTunes. So Ben, once again, thank you for coming on the show.